You are listening to Behind the Pulpit Podcast, Episode 5, Interview with Reverend Richard Lucas. Welcome to Behind the Pulpit Podcast. This is Tim Lucas. Hey everyone, this is Nigel. And of course, this is Ryan. We're just three regular guys who are passionate about growing young ministers. If you are a young minister or if you're just thinking about becoming a minister, this show is designed for you. On today's show, we're so excited. We are joined by missionary Richard Lucas. Yes, he is my dad, but today he is here as a missionary. Welcome to the show, Brother Lucas. Great to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity. As we've said multiple times on this show, we want this to be an interview show, so we're glad we're actually making it what we really want it to be. Brother Lucas, you were talking with me the other day about something you've been reading concerning focus and habits. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, one morning recently, the Lord, I felt like in prayer, spoke to my heart about uh, the power of focus and the importance. And for some time, both in my personal life and in the church, He's been dealing with me about what the Scripture says about putting off and putting on. Repentance is when we turn away from sin and turn to God. In Ephesians four twenty two through 24, it says, Put off the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which was renewed in righteousness and true holiness. And um, so I remembered I had a book with actually that title, The Power of Focus. And the Lord had been dealing with me about the importance of every day working on trying to put off at least one habit that I felt like was a a hindrance and uh, hindering me from being as effective as I could, and at the same time trying to put on another habit that um, we can't change everything at once, but if we'll focus on one thing and one thing be trying to move out of my life and one thing be moving into my life to help me become more effective. And so I went and looked at that book, The Power of Focus, and I was very surprised because um, that's actually what it begins with, talking about it says your habits will determine your future. And it makes a statement that says successful people have successful habits and unsuccessful people don't. And it's interesting you mentioned about replacing old habits with new habits. So often we focus on getting rid of things we don't want. Um, And we kind of talked about that with, as far as in the last episode, where we talked about how to get rid of carnal thoughts and things like that. And we talked about the importance of you, you have to replace it. You can't just get rid of something. You have to put something in its place. That's true. That's interesting. You, you um, brought that up with regard to habits. Well, I like, the, I like the, the fact real quick that you, you know, because you said successful people have successful habits and unsuccessful people have, I thought you were going to say unsuccessful habits, but the reality is, is you just don't have habits. That's, that's true. Whether they're good or bad. I mean, yes, you don't want bad habits, but if you have no habits then you're going to be unsuccessful. It's not just a matter of whether you're having bad habits. It's just if you don't have any good habits, you're going to be All unsuccessful. All of us have habits. Sometimes it's how we use our time. I heard Brother Pugh uh, teach a long time ago that the difference between a guy sitting in a beautiful car at a stoplight at a corner that is a head of a successful business and a man standing there that is a derelict is how they've been using their time. Mm. Wow. It's rarely the difference of ability. It's almost always the difference in how they use their time. Time is life. And uh, right. the Lord had spoken to me a long time ago that I cannot be a profitable servant unless I use my time in a profitable way. 
if my time is used unprofitably, then I'm an unprofitable servant. But if my time is used profitably, I'll be a profitable servant. You know, Nigel, you're, you've been thinking about going full-time, and we've been talking about that a little bit. Yes. I was thinking about that uh, not too long ago. I, well, I already am a full-time minister. I'm a full-time right, Christian, right. first of all. And so as a full-time Christian, full-time minister, yes, I work a secular job, but my boss is not my secular employer. Right. I am on That's assignment true. there, and God is my boss. That's Amen. true. That's scriptural. If that's the case, would I feel comfortable turning in my timesheet to my boss, God, and saying, this is what I did this week as a full-time employee on your payroll? Yes, sir. Right. I need to have more, more weeks where I feel comfortable That'll turning in that timesheet. <laughs> yeah, it will. It is convicting me. <laughs> when, I was, when I was first working as a youth pastor in Illinois, I was working a lot of hours and then very involved in the church. And many days, uh, God dealt with me to, when I was working about 10 hours a day, uh, five, sometimes six days a week, besides the involvement in the church. And the Lord dealt with me to go by the church every day and spend three hours a day at the church in prayer when I got off work. That was rough. A lot of days I was so tired, but it became very profitable for me. But I often prayed, Lord, I want to be full-time in ministry. And one day he rebuked me for that. And he said, are you only part-time for me? And I said, but Lord, I want to be full-time in ministry. He said, who gave you your job? I said, well, you did. He said, do you think I had to give you a job to supply your needs? And I said, no. He said, I needed somebody to walk in that, job, on that, in that company and be there beside those people facing the same things that they see every day and be a light. And you're there for me. You're full-time in ministry, whether you're working a secular job or not. Amen. You're either, you're either full-time or not at all. Yeah, when I pray to be full-time, because I know I've heard you say that, and so I don't actually use those words. What I do is I kind of steal from the psalmist and um, the one who said, you know, he, he was one of the priests who got to go up to the temple once or twice a year for a week. And he looked at the other full-time ministers and said, oh, I wish I could be one of those guys that get to dwell in the house of the Lord. So that's what I pray. I'm like, God, I want to dwell in your house. And you know what that really means. I understand. That means, you know, but, um, but anyways. Um, You're a smart guy. <laughs> he does say that whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, not with eye service as a man pleaser. We're not right. working, as you said, for the boss. We're really, uh, he said, let your work so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we, in our work on, on the job, we can bring glory to the Lord. Now, something else we were talking about the other day, um, and you were talking about what you feel is, as a minister, the number one important thing that probably we don't associate specifically with being a minister, maybe more as being a Christian. What, what do you think that thing is that's most important for a minister to, to have in his life? His relationship with God, his knowing the Lord. And John 15, he said that everything comes out of a relationship. And Timothy, you know that in Japanese, where in English it says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, but in Japanese, it talks about us being a branch. It uses the phrase tsunagaru, which means to be joined or fastened together so it's become one. He says, if you're joined to me and I'm joined to you, you will be very fruitful. But if you're not joined to me, just like a branch cut off from the vine, cannot produce fruit. And he said, of yourself, you cannot do one thing. 
absolutely nothing. But if you'll be joined to me, and there's that flow, you're going to be very fruitful. It's an automatic. To me, probably one of my two favorite scriptures is Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. He says, Wherefore given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. So that relationship, everything comes out of that. Everything. For maybe a minister who has started their ministry, and they look back and realize that they don't have the relationship they should have, or someone who's about to start their young or their ministry and realize that they need to work on that, what would you say is the best way to get that going? I mean, it can be kind of hard to, to explain that to someone. Maybe you've had more opportunities to try to teach someone how to have that relationship. What would you say? Well, hungering, hungering for that close intimacy with the Lord. In, uh, in Mark three fourteen, he said he called 12 that they should be with him and that he would send them forth to preach. So our first call is not to go preach. Our first call is to be with him. Right. Amen. And if we're, if we're not with him, if we're not spending time with him, then it's not going to work. So, Brother Lucas, I uh, when I came back to the Lord, I moved to L.A., and I got planted in Bernard Elms Church, Harvest Tabernacle, and that really changed my life. I testified about it last night at church when we were visiting because it just it's anchored in my heart. This is where I got rededicated, where I met my wife. But I also know that the Elms family is important in your life as well, and it's cool yes, having sir. that connection. And I just wanted to kind of get a little clearer picture of how exactly they impacted your life uh, at your when you were a young man. I was a Marine. I had left home uh, at 17 and joined the Marine Corps and ended up in San Diego. And then I was back there in electronic school. After boot camp, I went there. And uh, mom kept asking me to go visit the church. And so I went to a, a revival tabernacle where Brother Gray pastored. And on a Saturday night in a service led by Brother Bernard Elms, I prayed back through. And uh, I knew then that this is what I wanted to do the rest of my life. Well, I was so hungry. And I would go over to the church uh, two or three hours before every service. I'd be there crying and praying and seeking the Lord. Mom Elms, Brother Bernard Elms' mother, they were the custodians at the church, and she came, they lived right there on the property, and she came by and said, uh, I know you need to get off that base sometimes, and you're over here praying and seeking the Lord, and whenever you're free, you can come to our house, just, you can come stay there. Where I came from, you know, sometimes people say things like that, but I didn't take her serious. So, it was funny and you'd have to know them. She was a forceful lady, but and Brother Elms was very quiet, but he was clearly the man of the house. But uh, I was there before Bible study service, a couple hours early praying, and she came to me and said, you come with me right now. And I said, yes, ma'am. So I follow her, and she takes me over to their house, she says, and told me where, showed me where they kept the key. They had a key for their house. I thought, this is crazy. And she led me in. She starts opening up the cabinets and refrigerator. And she said, no, when you are free and you're off base now, um, my boys are all grown and they're all on their own. Um, she said, Wendell's at Bible school. And when he's home, he'll be using his room and you can't stay here. Then you'll have to sleep over in the Sunday school building. But otherwise, 
I want you to consider this your house. And she opens up the cabinets and refrigerator, says, here, and here's where we keep the coffee and the coffee pot's over here and you're free to make coffee and open up refrigerator and the, and the freezer and said, you know, anything in here you can fix. But she said, no, I'm not going to cook special for you. If you're here when we eat, you can eat with us. But otherwise, if you're hungry, you cook for yourself. I'm not going to cook special for you. And this is blowing me away. She takes me in and shows me their stereo and says, says, uh, now, Wendell, he likes to put five records or so on and lay down, put a speaker on either side of his head and lay there on the floor and sleep. She said, you're welcome to do that. But if you do, when you get up, you put the records away and you put the speakers back. Don't leave stuff out for me to straighten up. Takes me in and shows me his room. And uh, I realized she was serious. And from then on, the rest of the time I was in San Diego, every bit of time I had off from work at the base, I was there. And uh, oh, that was an amazing gift from God. And uh, they, she had such, her and Brother Elms and I helped around, helped with custodial work, cleaning and janitorial work and working on the buses and things. And uh, oh, it was just an incredible experience for me. Great people, great wow. people of God. It's no surprise how they're all their, you know, that was the amazing thing about the Elms family. The more I got to talking to Brother Elms, hearing about his parents and just the fact that they were just faithful saints who loved God and God blessed their family and all their sons when it got into ministry and their grandkids are in ministry now. It's just a testament to who they are. And it's just awesome to hear you talk about uh, his parents like that. It just kind of gives another. Uh, picture of you know that's what being a to me you know that's that's my goal man if I could just be a Christian like that just love me people too. because they made such an impact on me because I saw that they had four sons all of them though brother and sister Elms were not in pulpit ministry at all but nobody spoke bad about any saint or about yeah. any minister in their home. I think Sister Elms would have threw you through the window or the door. <laughs> um, nobody spoke bad, and it was always positive and always uplifting and always praising. Uh, if they said anything about a message that was preached, oh, what a great message, what a great service. Oh, thank God for such leaders to lead us in worship. It was always that way. No criticism ever. All their sons are not only in ministry, but all of them are leaders. Brother David Elms, district superintendent. I think um, I, Brother Bernard Elms, I believe a presbyter. Uh, Brother Wendell Elms in Texas, he was district secretary. All of these men, and, and their oldest brother was so mightily used of God, and I believe he was a presbyter also in Texas. All of them so mightily used of God. Well, Dad, you're kind of on your way too. Um, all three of your sons are licensed ministers and actively involved in ministry. Um, so I think you've done a pretty good job, if I do say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you, you did. <laughs> I tried to follow the pattern. I saw, I watched successful parents. I saw some, even great ministers, all their kids grew up and none of them lived for God. And others, all their kids lived for God, loved the church, loved the work of God. Others despised the church, resented the church and the ministry. And almost always, um, you know, there are no, there's no such thing as perfect ministers or perfect saints. 
Um, I'm certainly far from perfect. But if we destroy our kids' faith in preachers, then they can't be saved because God chose through the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. That's true. If we destroy their faith in the saints in the church, then they will not believe in the church or want to be part of the church. So it was always my goal that each of my sons, their greatest heroes, would be saints in the church and ministers. And any good thing I saw in any minister or any saint, I always tried to point that out and lift them up. And we never allowed any criticism of ministers or saints in our home ever. Absolutely never. That is awesome. Our sons would get a spanking if they even dared to criticize a saint or a minister. Well, that's awesome to know, Brother Lucas, because I have three boys now, and so I I would love to raise them in that kind of way. And it is so easy to develop a critical attitude. And of course, we would rephrase that as um, well, evaluating so we can be better, or testing the spirits, or speaking against false doubt, or whatever. Mentioning something we need to pray about. And it's one of my struggles. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit it. One of my struggles is a tendency to be critical. And I've won the battle. Yeah. And I've lost the battle. And it's the constant battle to get better. And it's just, it's one of the, it, you will notice if you ever look at Sister Nona Freeman's list of things that will kill the, the flow of the spirit, one of them is a critical right. spirit. Yes. And that's probably my biggest um, con- consistent battle. Well, you know, and also the, the big thing is, you know your weaknesses being critical, but knowing that Judah will never see that because, you know, because, because you, you know, you can always, you can talk like that with us. You can, you can use us as sounding cards. <laughs> yeah. We'll Good. put, we'll, we'll rebuke you. We'll rebuke you quickly. Uh but I, you know, that's the same with my kids. I just, you know, I, my ultimate goal is for them to make it to heaven, whether they're in ministry right. or not. Absolutely. I want them to have a relationship with Jesus, and I have to be that, that mirror and that, that picture for them. And, you know, it's like, it's like cracking that code. I mean, there really is no code. But you look at parents who have raised successful children, successful adults. Uh, and when I say successful, I mean as far as spiritually walking with God, serving the Lord. And that is my ultimate goal because then I look at other uh, families where that's not the case. And and it's not that they even did anything wrong, but something happened. And I just, I want to give every chance to my children that I can. I don't want to be the reason that they choose to not serve God. I want to give them every opportunity to make that right decision. But thank you, Brother Lucas, for sharing that with, uh, with me and with everybody. I desperately wish I could stay and keep listening to this. However, I, I have to get going. Today is my wife and I's eighth anniversary. Happy anniversary. And so, thank you. Fantastic. Thank Happy you. Happy anniversary. anniversary. Yes, and so we're still we're going to go out and uh, celebrate just for a little bit. So uh, God bless you, Brother Lucas. I enjoyed my time with you at ABI. I referenced you a lot last episode. We love uh, you, Because it, it's been... Uh, you. you Words cannot describe how thankful I am that you came and taught at ABI. So uh, I appreciate you and your ministry and, of course, your awesome kids, uh, a.k.a. Tim (laughs) and Jason and Andrew. Brother Ryan, if I could just mention this before you leave, one of the keys 
We talk about loving one another. The Bible says, don't love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And one of the most important things for our family in showing love is to show that what's important to them is important to us and treating important events in their lives as important. If we act like important events to them really don't matter to us, it's saying they don't matter to us. And so I hope you have a fantastic time celebrating with your wife. Have fun, man. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right. God bless. Love you guys. Have a good one. God bless you. Brother Brother Lucas, I had a question. If I I understand correctly, you went to uh, Bible school even though uh, you were already involved in ministry. And yes, actually, actually, you already had license. Yes, I understand that you left a good career, and and were pursuing circular college degree, but you still went to Bible college. So, yes, what what made you decide that Bible school still would be valuable for you? Thank you for that question, Brother Nigel. I was. I had worked for Spare Univac, which became Unisys, as a computer technician. Then I worked in Irvine, California. The company I worked for was the fastest-growing computer company in the world, and I loved it. I absolutely loved everything. We were on the ground floor. Digital was a new startup company not far from us. Intel was new. And that area, all of the companies that are now household names in electronics, they were starting up right around us. Irvine, California was kind of the original Silicon Valley. And I was also in university studying business management. And my desire was to reach top-level top management in a computer company. One day, as I was getting ready for work, God began to talk to my heart, began to ask me some questions. And at, at that time, as best as I understood, I answered, I don't know how accurate in all of it it was. But he asked me, he said, son, if a guy quit school and doesn't finish high school, how much is he going to make? And I said, well, he'll probably start out maybe around 12000 a a year. And he said, and what's his potential? And I said, well, for most guys, probably not over 16000 or so a year. He said, well, what if he finishes high school? I said, well, he'll probably start out around 16000 a year or so. And he said, and what's his potential? And I said, well, if he works hard, maybe he may get up to making around 28000 or so a year. He said, well, what if he goes for four years of college? I said, well, he'll probably start out maybe around twenty two, twenty four thousand 24000 a year. He said, well, what's his earning potential? I said, well, it depends on his trade, but, you know, sixty, uh, you know. 60000 if he's really sharp, he may make up as much as 100000 a year. He said, well, what if he goes eight years of university? I said, well, he'll probably start out thirty, forty thousand. 40000 And he said, and his potential, I said, well, he's got a good shot at making 300000 a year. He said, why? Why would a company pay that man so much more? Is it because he's so much smarter? Then the guy that quit school, and I, I laughed because I knew guys that quit school that were brilliant guys, but just left school, and other guys that had college degrees were really not all that bright. <laughs> but uh, I, I was thinking about it, and the Lord said it's because he has prepared himself more. They pay him more because they feel he's more valuable to the company. He can make more money for them. 
because he has gained more skills. He has prepared himself more. Right. And so I was kind of just thinking about that a little bit. I knew the Lord was trying to tell me something. And he said, son, I'll use a man as much as he'll prepare himself. Wow. Wow. And I had no thought before of going to Bible school. I thought I was too old. And uh, I was enjoying what I was doing. Um, ministry was important. I was involved in ministry. That day, I determined I was going to leave the job, leave the university, finish that semester, and then go to Bible school. And so I also had wanted to study music. And a music director that was very famous that I knew personally, uh, uh, somewhat, was at one school, I, I thought. I, he had been. And so I decided, well, I will go. I'll get Bible school. I'll also study music under him. And whenever I would talk about Bible school or think about Bible school, I was very excited. But when I thought about that school, I got an uneasy feeling in my spirit, and I didn't know why. And I thought, I better pray and fast about this. I just decided this on my own. I didn't ask God where I'm supposed to go. So I started to fast for several days and seek the Lord, and he dealt with me. That's not my direction for you. I said, well, where do you want me to go? And he dealt with me about ABI. My dad had gone to ABI back in the 50s, but I had no thought of going to ABI. So I immediately changed my plans. And when I drove on the campus that night, it was after midnight um, when I drove on campus, I have never known that I was more in the will of God any time in my life, which was good because sometimes I was tempted to leave. (laughs) (laughs) You guys have been there, you know. That was so important for me. Really? And and, and what would you say that uh, the role that Bible school has played in, in your ministry? Oh, my. The greatest thing is they taught me how to study and how to put thoughts and information together. They didn't teach me everything, but they taught me how to learn, how to organize thoughts, um, how to present something in a logical manner. Also, while I was there, I was very, very involved. When I first got there, I I met Brother Saban at camp. He was my pastor at that time and teacher. He looked at me, and he said, Leave the girls alone. (laughs) What? I didn't come here worried about the girls, you know. So he said, what are you involved? Have you been involved in what are you like doing? And I said, well, I like bus ministry. I've been involved in bus ministry. He turned and called a guy over and he said, this is the man who's just started our bus ministry. He said, he'll be there Saturday morning. I want him involved (laughs) in bus ministry. So I started running a bus and doing bus ministry. Then Sister Norris, I went to visit her class, and she asked me to teach as one of, on the teaching team in her Sunday school class. And when they started Hobby Club, I drove for Hobby Club, and I drove for the teens and helped some with quizzing, helped a lot with the teens, worked with Dave and Patty Norris, Pat Norris, and oh, what an amazing privilege that was. Incredible people. Brother Gray had told me before I went to Bible school, he said, the problem with Bible school is so many people go and study, 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 and don't use anything. And any knowledge you gain that you don't give away within six months, you've lost it, and you're going to have to learn it all over again. Wow. Wow. But if you'll give it away within six months, that knowledge will be yours the rest of your life, 
and you can call on it anytime you need it. So I tried to use everything I was getting. That was that was valuable for me. I was involved in so many things. Then I went to to nursing home service, and uh, I'd gone a few weeks, and the guy turned nursing home service over to me. That was Brother Talmage French. Um, I um, I went to you know to a Saturday night service. They had played guitar for him, and and uh, Brother Talmage French's brother was involved with that. And so I was, I was just very involved. And then I drove for the church, picking people up before and after service, which was a blessing because everybody had a curfew. But I could, I took everybody home, so then I was allowed to stop and eat after <laughs> at, on my way back. And so <laughs> curfew really didn't apply so much to me. Of course, I was older, you know. But <laughs> there you go. And I'd been in the Marine Corps, so they did kind of respect that a little bit. So now, when you first got to Japan, you you pretty much walked into. Uh, uh, nothing there. It's not like you took something that was already there, you, and you had to start essentially from scratch. How did you go about doing that? Well, actually, Japan was one of the oldest mission fields in the world, right? And uh, it had a lot of problems over the years, and different ones would go, and then things would happen, and the work would just kind of dissolve. When I got here, there was a work a national work, but they would not allow missionaries to work with nationals. Eventually, it proved out. I, I saw it pretty quickly. Eventually, it proved out that they really didn't believe the apostolic doctrine at all, as far as the essentiality of new birth, of the oneness, of anything about holiness. But Brother Dennis was working with military in Okinawa, and he had me come when I first came. He had me come and spend a little bit of time with them. Then he came up and helped he and Sister Dennis helped us get settled in. And he had he had a good name. He was faithful and had a good name, had the respect of people. And so that was a great blessing. Well, we were only allowed to come. We were the first ones, after it was nationalized, that they let come and work with military in mainland Japan. The reason they let Brother Dennis stay is at that time, the military was under U.S. control in Okinawa. But uh, it later, Okinawa went back to Japan. But because of him, then I was allowed to come and work with military. And there was a group on base at Yokota and a group on base at Yokosuka. And Brother Dennis gave me some invaluable advice. I had thought I'd live between them and they could come from both directions. He said, no, you need to settle near one of the bases. Pick one. And I said, well, which would you pick? And he told me. And so I did exactly what he said. And uh, that was brilliant advice. I'm so thankful for his advice and that I listened to him. It was as good of advice as I've ever gotten. Uh, so we lived at Yokota area and started working with people there and going to Yokosuka. school. It wasn't long the Lord brought some Japanese people into our church. At first when I got here, the Japanese church would kind of check on me almost every week to see if I was reaching Japanese because I wasn't supposed to be allowed to reach Japanese. The Japanese national organization? That's right. But... um it was it was funny. I, I love the, and I still love, I love all those people. Those brethren are my friends, very dear to me. But um, eventually we went, and then a guy came in whose dad had been honored by the emperor. He was from a family that was very wealthy. Well, then they thought it was a pretty good idea for me to win Japanese people. <laughs> and so after one term, I asked the Japanese UPC if I would be allowed to reach Japanese also. 
and they officially broadened my appointment from just working with military to work with Japanese. I had been told by other missionaries that that the work in Japan would never open again, that once a work closes, it never opens. And I said, well, God called me. And they said, well, it will never open. You need to redirect. And I said, God called me. And so in God's time and God's way, he's going to make it happen. And they said, well, if it happens, it's going to have to be God. There's nothing else that's going to make it happen. But God did it. So praise God. So I, of course, watched growing up, and it was very obvious that you were very successful in seeing uh, solid saints turn into ministers uh, all around the world. There's ministers who went from being a saint to being a minister while they were under your ministry in Japan. What have you noticed are some of the common traits of those who have been successful as ministers, and maybe some of the things that are common among those who kind of didn't really last? Well, all of those who continue to live for God, I would say, have done very well. We had some folks that were young, and I was using them and working with them, but they had issues in their life, and but very, very few that that's ever happened with. Again, it comes back to the same thing that we have emphasized over and over with all of them, that, that they've got to be loyal to the Word of God. They have to. Uh, I often tell our people, I've never asked anybody to be loyal to me. I've never asked anyone to be loyal to the United Pentecostal Church organization. But I always ask them, be loyal to the Word of God. Because mm-hmm. an organization can change and men can fail. And they sure have. Paul that recognized he could that even sure fail. Do. Paul said, if we, me or one of the other apostles, would come preaching a different gospel, right, or it's an angel. And he even says an angel from heaven. Right. Yes, right. let him be a curse. And he said, as I said before, so say I now again, if any man preach yeah. any other gospel than that which we have preached unto you, let him be a curse. So he was trying to protect the church even against the possibility of him doing something stupid. So I want our people, I've told our people, there are organizations that one time preach things that today they preach quite different. Yeah. So organizations can change, but if people, um, I had the experience of someone, that, well, my own pastor that I loved and respected so much that he got bitterness in his heart and then went off until he denied that speaking with tongues was the evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost, denied the essentiality of the new birth. I tried to talk with him, but yeah. he could, you couldn't reason with him. But many of my dear friends, dear friends that were much better people, much better in ministry than me, but they followed him, and their lives are a mess today. But I stayed with the Word of God. I really like this point, Brother Lucas, because it is so true. If if we can be taught to uh, be faithful to uh, the Word of God, uh, then to the man that is preaching it, then it doesn't matter what the man does. You know, you you stay faithful. And I know, yes, I know, the missionaries in Fiji taught me this very same things. And uh, you know, they would tell me, um, Brother Kavo would say, you know, don't Great man. don't believe, don't yes, amazing, amazing man. And he would always tell us. 
you know, man will fail, but the word of God will stay true. So that's right. You you stay faithful. Doesn't matter what I do, and uh, he always told us, you you take notes. Don't believe what I say. Believe what the word of God is telling yes, you. Yes, sir. And, uh, yes, sir. And uh, thus far, you know, I've been in 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 this truth for twenty years, and it has paid off. You know, and yes, I. Sir. And uh, I'm just following that principle and uh, want to continue to follow that principle. Yes, sir. The loyalty to truth is so critically important. And Amen. I tell our people, as long as you see I'm preaching truth, you'll have no problem being loyal to me. And right. as long as you see the United Pentecostal Church stays with truth, you have no problem wanting to be a part of that and being loyal to that. But if you see any man go off, don't follow that man. Stay with the Word of God, because God's yeah. Word is truth. No man is truth, right. but God's right. Word is truth. Right. Yeah. Wow, I, I love that, this point. <laughs> Two areas that have been a concern to me. In the last few years in our organization, we have emphasized so much about leadership. And leadership ability. I've got more books on leadership than anybody I know, and I love them. But there's a world of difference between being a leader in a company and being a spirit-led man of God. Yeah. Amen. And uh, Amen. I had a meeting. I, I was at a, at a place, and Brother Kilgore was also there two different times that I was preaching that area. And we met and began to talk for breakfast. And he began to open up with me, and we ended up sitting there for about three and a half hours each time, weeping the presence of God so strong. And he told me, he said, he said, I started doing something a few years ago. I ask every minister I meet, what has God been speaking to you recently? Well, I laughed because I'd been doing the same thing. And he said, you know, Brother Lucas, in two years, not one man could tell me. <laughs> they could tell me, I read this book or I read this, or I heard this guy talk about this, or I heard this mm. tape, but not yeah. one could tell me wow. God spoke to me about this or that. And he said, I don't understand that. I can't live without hearing from God. Right. I can't right. make it without hearing from God. I've got to hear from God. Right. And as we sat there and talked each time, the both of us, this presence of God was so strong, we were weeping and just wow. an amazing time. Then I heard him at General Conference. Um, make the same statement, and he said, in the last two years, I've asked men, one man after another this, and only one in that two years yeah. had been able to tell me, and I thought, I hope that was me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know that that is so, so true, because as, as young young ministers, as aspiring ministers, a lot of the times we can uh, we can start looking at all these books and management books and uh, yes. uh, leadership books and, and strategize psychology. And, yes, and we, we turn to those so much that we forget that the kingdom of God uh, has its own way of doing things. That's and, right. Uh, and we bring in, uh, these are good. The Bible does say that the children of the world sometimes are wiser than the children, right. uh, children of God, you know. Uh, and there's things to be learned, but at the same time, we have to realize that the kingdom of God operates in a very different way. Absolutely. Which um, The thing is, when we 
I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, which school of business leadership would have said march around Jericho? Or, <laughs> you know, or go down the list of the, the great battles, blow horns, right. And, right, and watch right. the wasps come. That's how we planned yeah. it. We watched. Go- Take a pitcher and a torch yeah. and a trumpet. And yeah, stand on makes the mountain no sense and to about, the world. Let them kill themselves. <laughs> and and something this is, I guess, a little off topic, but not really because it's exactly what you're saying. One of my pet peeves is singing songs that aren't biblically accurate. And and True. and one of the songs that I that I really don't like is the one that says, um, "The weapons we use are not bombs and guns. Worship is the way that the battle is won." And it just keeps, you know, it. it yes, we're supposed to worship in every circumstance, but there's. N- Worship is not the way that the battle's fought every time. If that's right. first of all, they they always reference Jericho as why they think that's the case that praising singing is how they fought. But actually, if they're going to use that accurately, mm. you would have to be silent, silent for twelve times at least, as long as you were going to shout. And they didn't sing; they shouted. Well, and and then, well, if they then there is. There is the example in Second Chronicles twenty of Jehoshaphat, right? And there, but that was in a direct word from see, the that's Lord. That's the key. That's the key. Is right. you get a word Paul from God. Paul and Silas prayed and worshipped, and yes, uh, and we should. I'm God not against praise and worship. I love praise and worship. The key is for every battle, you get a word from God and you do it. If right. if they had taken the same plan that they took that's to correct. Jericho to Ai, well, I mean Ai didn't work out very well for them the first time or if they had tried to say well you know what i'm gonna start a march around jericho ministry and every city tried to march around it well it wouldn't work because that's not how god operated or if they said we're gonna get joshua and hold his hands up for every battle well no that's what god that's what worked for one battle and the key is we have to get direction from god for every single situation that is correct anyways when we try to do it by our, our own ability There are two dangers in this. One is when we're trying to do it by our own leadership ability and our own brilliance, then if we find any measure of success, and you can look in this world, there are organizations that were built by the ability of men. Right. Men can build an organization. They can. The problem is then the temptation is for us to pull a Nebuchadnezzar and say, see, is this not great Babylon, yep. which I have built for my glory? Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's that the is danger, true. is we will take the credit, and that's why we want to do it that way. Yeah, right. The second thing, Brother Pugh, the last three times he spoke in public meetings, God ordained that I would be there. Each time, he, again and again, he would say, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit. And he would say, you cannot build a spiritual movement and a work of God by human ability. Preach it. <laughs> in Zechariah uh, 4.6, Brother Nigel, I think in, in Fiji, I know you folks use English, but you also have other language there also, right? Yes, Hindi yes. and uh, Fijian. Yeah, and sometimes in another language, a scripture will jump out at you a, di- a little differently. Yeah. And in Zechariah 4, 6 in Japanese, in English it says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. In, in, in Japanese it says, not by my uh, human ability, and not my, by my power to influence people, mm-hmm. mm. but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Mm. If I'm depending on my ability and my 
power to influence people, which is what some define leadership as, then I'm building on flesh and it Mm -hmm. will return to the dust. It will, everything built on flesh is going, it came from the dust, it's going back to the dust. Right. But the Lord said in Matthew 4, 4, uh, he quoted from Deuteronomy, and he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And the word in Greek there is rama, which means the word God is presently speaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And thank God, every time he speaks to us, he does not quote the whole Bible to us each time. <laughs> yeah. But he will speak a word to us. Right. Right. And it is a word that God is speaking right now. He quickens that to us. It becomes our promise. It becomes our direction. Amen. And faith is built on that. The scripture says that faith cometh by hearing, hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So as we read and study the word of God, we develop an ability to hear the voice of God. Right. Mm-hmm. And then as we hear the voice of God, there is faith and power in that because if God said it, right. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Heaven Amen. and earth will pass away. God's word will not pass right. away. Amen. Oh, that is, that is so good. In this same vein, you asked me, uh, Brother Timothy, about how we establish people and then they continue on successfully in ministry. I felt a long time ago God dealt with me in ministry for the church. I have three responsibilities. Number one, I have a responsibility to preach the gospel to the lost. Mm-hmm. If there's no evangelistic service, then the lost have no hope because the Amen. Lord yeah. chose that by the foolishness of preaching right. the, to save those that would believe. So there's got to be a service directed with preaching to reach the lost. Right. Some way the word has got to be directed to impact those that are lost so they can come to salvation. Then we have a responsibility to teach our people general Bible knowledge. Some of our churches have started a program. And I saw this on deputation where their Sunday morning, they, had, they didn't have Sunday school. It was just evangelistic for the kids. But what happened is we have kids growing up, and in Bible school, you saw this, young people come into Bible school that have grown up in the church all their life that don't even know basic Bible stories. That is so And true. we have preachers getting up and telling stories, and they don't even get the story correct. I know, it drives me nuts. Yeah, They don't even so know true. the basic Bible stories themselves. I... I could not believe when I came to the States, especially when I went to the Bible college and then found out that these kids, not kids, but uh, yes. adults really, that don't know their Bible. They don't That's know where right. Revelation is or, or the New Testament is. When you would think I mean. if you're going to preach a sermon, you would at least read the story enough to get the story you're preaching right. <laughs> Even if you don't know the whole Bible, if you're going to use a story, you should probably read it. At least one time through. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Totally agree. Too many times the message came from the internet, though, and yep. not from prayer. Amen. Oh, Jesus, help us. So this interview was just so jam-packed with good stuff, we decided to split it into two parts. Make sure you check out episode six to hear the second part, the continuation of this interview with Pastor Richard Lucas. If you want to see the show notes, go to BehindThePulpitPodcast.com slash five. Let us know who else you'd like us to interview or other topics you want us to talk about. You can contact us at Facebook.com slash BehindThePulpitPodcast or you can email us at contact 
at BehindThePulpitPodcast.com. If you like the show, please go on over to iTunes and give us a review. Until next episode, remember, you matter to the kingdom of God. Behind the Pulpit Podcast.